Welcome back. This is episode 124, Dudes and Dudettes. Episode 124 of The Anxious Truth. Thanks for coming by. Welcome back to the show. After a little one-week hiatus, could not squeeze in the podcast last week. One of the one of the rare weeks when I did not podcast last week. Just a lot going on. I'll get into that on a later later time. But today, uh, this is episode 124. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for taking some time, as always. Today, we're going to cover a topic that I think is really interesting. It came up in my Facebook group, as so many do. And if you're not in the group, theanxioustruth.com slash links, you'll see a link to the Facebook group. By all means, head on over there and ask to join. We'll get you in. So this came up in the Facebook group, as so many things do. Uh, the discussion was about how much more difficult will it be to recover from an anxiety disorder based on how long you have suffered with that anxiety disorder. And the way this worked out is uh, a person had said that their therapist told them that the longer she was agoraphobic, in this case it was agoraphobia that she was dealing with, the longer she was agoraphobic, the harder it would be for her to recover. And technically, that is actually not true. So recovery may look different based on the length of time that you have been dealing with this anxiety problem of yours, but it is technically not any more difficult for the reasons that common sense might lead you to believe it would be. So it's really no more difficult to recover just because you've been dealing with this problem for a longer amount of time, right? So we'll explain that. And it's all based on the fact that this is a cognition problem. It's a learning problem. We talk about bad brain habits all the time. That's the crux of this argument. Before we get into it, you know what I got to do. The Anxious Truth, the step-by-step guide for understanding and overcoming panic, anxiety, and agoraphobia. That is the book that I've written, the recovery guide, 400 pages. Everything you've ever heard me say on social media or in a podcast, except in much more detailed form and laid out in a very logical, easy-to-understand sequence. So it's as if you are taking a course on how to recover from your anxiety disorder. I wrote it to be a helpful tool, and by all accounts, that's exactly what it has become. So if you're looking for additional help beyond the podcast, beyond my Instagram, my Facebook accounts, check it out. It's at theanxioustruth.com slash recovery guide. The audio version is actually hopefully coming out in another week or two. Vaudible gets their act together. So anyway, check it out if you get a chance. And if you are reading it or have read it and have found it helpful, head on over to Amazon. Give me a review. I would appreciate it. All right, that's over. Let's get into the topic here. So if you think that it will be harder for you to recover from your anxiety disorder, whatever it may be, because you have suffered for longer than other people, you are wrong. And let's explain why. Why is that? You hear me talk all the time about the fact that these problems are actually problems of cognition, learning the wrong lessons, developing bad brain habits, right? This is an illness. It's not a sickness. It's not like something is literally wrong with you on a physiological level and your body is somehow degrading in function over time. It's not. So the first fallacy that surrounds the idea that dealing with it for too long makes it harder to recover is kind of likening it to a physical disease where, where your body is degrading over time. You know, if you have arthritis, your, you know, the joint functions are degrading over time. If you have, you know, kidney failure, kidney functions are degrading over time. That's true. Those are physiological disorders, diseases. This is not. So you cannot liken it to that. It's not like you are degrading the performance of your body of the mechanisms of action in your brain are not degrading over time, right? So that's, that's the first thing that is an actual fallacy. Don't compare your anxiety disorder to a physical illness where people get sicker and sicker over time if the illness progresses. That's not the way this works at all. It's not the way it works at all. I don't care if you have been, like, crippled with panic for 30 years and highly agoraphobic. 
your brain still works exactly the same way that mine does and everybody else's does on the planet. So you got to get rid of that, that wrong idea that somehow your anxiety disorder is like a disease that gets worse and worse and progresses over time and takes away function from you. It does not. So that's the first, that's the easy one to address. Get that out of your head because that is flat out wrong. It's not true. And I can tell you that I have personal experience with people who have dealt with these disorders for well over 25 years who are, who are now well on the way to recovery or, or really just about fully recovered at this point. They did not degrade in function. This was not a degenerative, I can never say that word. This was not a degenerative problem that got worse and worse over time. It was not. And they got some new information. They changed direction. They started doing things differently. They started doing hard and scary things in a systematic, incremental way. And lo and behold, they are getting better, even after 20-plus years of suffering with these problems. So this is not a disease that progresses the longer you let it go. That's not true. Here's the next reason why you are wrong if you think that it is harder to recover because you have suffered for longer than somebody else. It is a common mistake for human beings to think that the things that have happened in the past are predictors of things that will happen in the future. But that is not always right, even though it feels right to us sometimes. And, and we, we are all biased toward that. This is not a, like a, a unique thing to people with anxiety problems. We all think that way. We have a propensity to believe, if I want to see what's going to happen tomorrow, let me think about what happened yesterday. And that isn't always correct. In fact, it's often incorrect, but we do it anyway, and all humans do that. Let me tell you a very quick story. First time I ever went into a casino many years ago, I wandered over to a roulette table. And roulette is the game where you spin the wheel and the little ball lands in a number, and if you, if you bet that number, you win. So I'm standing there for a little bit, and I'm looking at the game because I didn't know what was going on really. And I placed my first bet on whatever number I, I decided to bet on. And there's a woman sitting next to me at the table, and she has a little notebook in her hand, and she's writing down a sequence of numbers. And I made my bet. She turned to me and said, you shouldn't bet that number. I said, why not? And she showed me her notebook, and she said, that just came up three spins ago. She was mistaken. So that is a good example of somebody who felt like since number 11, or whatever number, I, I probably bet 18, probably. Since number 18 came up three spins ago, then it, it's less likely to come up now. So see, look, I'm keeping track. I'm trying to help you out here, dude. Like, don't bet 18. It just came up. What she didn't understand is that roulette is a game of independent trials. So every time you spin the wheel, it does not matter what happened in the previous spins. That number 18 could literally come up 27 times in a row. And I know if I tell you that number 18 can come up 27 times in a row in the spin of a wheel, and you think that is, there's no way that could ever happen, you're wrong. And you are illustrating our own propensity to think that past events are predictors of the future. They are not always. Probability, at least in roulette, says that every time the wheel spins, every number has an equal chance of coming up every single time. So the odds are just as good of getting number 18 27 spins in a row as having 27 different numbers. That's true. That's math. But we don't think that way. Your gut is probably telling you that doesn't seem right. And so you're under the assumption that, like, since you have been doing this thing, since you have been reacting to anxiety, fear, panic, discomfort, and uncertainty this way for so long, then you are now destined because of the past to live this way in the future. And it seems like some sort of insurmountable thing to change the future 
because the past has cemented it in place. But that is not true. That is not true. And our language across all cultures is absolutely riddled with references to that. Teaching an old dog new tricks, the leopard changing its spots. We hear these things over. It's never too late. It ain't over till it's over. Right? So we are riddled with references to this that try to teach us the lesson that the past does not guarantee the future. Yet for some reason, on an emotional level, we take the past to heart and we think that it is a predictor of our future. We all do it. It is a mistake we all make. And when you are in the grips of an anxiety disorder and your thinking is already a little bit distorted, it's exaggerated, right? It's not based on reality. It's based on irrational fear. That becomes even stronger. You think because you have been like this for a year, two years, five years, 25 years, that there is no possible way for the future to change. But that is nothing more than a fee, an irrational fear driving an emotional judgment that is actually not indicative of reality. So I'm not trying to take away your emotions and your gut feelings. But in many instances in life, gut feelings are wrong, anxiety or not. And in this case, if you just in your gut somehow feel that this is going to be harder for you because it has been this way for so long, I need you to really look at this and remember the roulette wheel when I was in the casino. Past events are not predictors of future events. We get to intervene in that system. So when you make a change and start to do things differently, then the system of the future is structurally different than the system of the past. So if you have been retreating at the first sign of anxiety, panic, fear, uncertainty, discomfort, if you retreat, if you begin to engage in your safety behaviors, your rituals, your drown it out, your pace around the house, your go out for a run, your whatever you do to escape this thing that you have deemed too uncomfortable or dangerous or too scary to, to endure, you know, you are, you are acting in a system that you have built and executed in the past. If tomorrow you change that and say, well, it's super scary and difficult, but I am going to stay put in the discomfort and the fear and the uncertainty, and I'm not going to retreat, and I'm going to do my best to relax and just let it come at me, then that is structurally a different system tomorrow than you were in yesterday. So why would you insist that because there were so many yesterdays, that the, the new system that you put in place tomorrow will have no effect. You see, the, you see the, where the logic breaks down there. When you step outside your own situation and look at it as an outsider looking in like I am, an outsider looking into your situation, I can tell you that you have the ability to change the system that you're operating in. And when you change the system, then why would you think that a new system was going to bring about the same results? Now, you might think, but I have been changing the system for years and years and years, but have you? Have you really? Like, how have you been trying to change the system? Have you been trying with, you know, spiritual things? Have you been trying with herbs and supplements and oils and, you know, mantras and all those things? Have you actually been trying to change the system in ways that aren't even related to the system at all? So first you have to accept these disorders as cognitive issues, learning issues, and, and that's the system you have to change. So dealing with your gut health, and I'm not going to get into a rant about this, but dealing with your gut health has nothing to do with the system that's created years of those outcomes that you hate so much. Nothing. Zero. 
So when you actually work in the correct system, the accurate system, you target it correctly and you change the structure of that system, then of course, it doesn't matter how many yesterdays you've had, tomorrow is going to start to look different, right? So it's not a disease that, you know, degrades your performance over time and Past events are not predictors of the future, nor do they make the future ironclad because you have the ability to intervene and change the system that you're in, change your reaction. The new system will bring about new results. And it doesn't matter how many times the old, the old results have come out. You can create new results tomorrow. They might not be hugely different at first. It will be incremental. Your progress might be a little bit slow, but it will be progress and change nonetheless. So that is yet another reason why the idea that the longer you've suffered, the harder it becomes to recover is wrong. It's just wrong. So now let's look at the third reason. I talk about this being a cognition and a learning problem all the time. I just beat that to death, right? You're probably tired of me hearing, that, hearing me say that. And I also use the term bad brain habits all the time. You've heard me say that many, many times over the years, right? Here's the deal. You are in response to feeling afraid, unsure, uncertain, uncomfortable, unstable, you know, all of those things that anxiety and panic bring about and fear bring about. In response to those things, you develop a series of habits cognitively and behaviorally, cognitive behavioral, heard that before, right? That are designed to make you escape from that discomfort, the perceived fear, the perceived threat, the perceived danger, you're trying to escape from that, and you develop cognitive and behavioral habits, routines, rituals, programs, if you will, that you execute to escape and avoid the discomfort and the fear and the panic and the uncertainty and all of those things. While you are learning those routines, if you can interrupt that learning process, then it is probably true in the very beginning as you're developing these new safety and escape routines if you can interrupt that while you're developing those habits, you will probably have an easier time of recovery. But this is a very small percentage of people because that means this is somebody who understands what's going on, sees it immediately, gets the right information, and begins to act right away, like literally within weeks of starting to go down the disorder path. And that's pretty rare. If you're listening and you're one of those people, then excellent. Keep going. You're, you, you know, you're, you got a leg up for sure. But once those routines, those habits, those rituals, those behaviors are learned, they're refined, they're integrated into your life, and they become automatic for you. These are things you don't even think about doing. You just automatically execute the escape program, the avoidance program, right? The, the distraction program, whatever it is you do to escape from those feelings that you hate so much and are terrified of irrationally. So... If you execute those things without even thinking, it's just automatic. I got invited for lunch? No. Automatically, no. We have to go to a wedding? No. Automatically, no. I should probably learn to sit quietly for 20 minutes and just be with my thoughts? No. Automatic. No. You don't even think about it. No. The things you do, get back in your car because you can't be in the supermarket. The car is a safe place. Go back to home because home is a safe place. Call your husband, your wife, your safe person to talk to you and distract you. Turn up the radio count backwards by threes, all the things that you just launch into automatically, when they become habits and automatic, you don't really get any better at them. We cannot count to 10 any better than we learned to do it when we were six years old. 
like some things have a limit to the proficiency that you can develop in a certain skill. So now that you have that skill, it's been developed. It is a habit. It is ingrained. It's automatic and part of your, your escape, avoidance, soothing, and comforting program. How much better can you get at running home? You're as good as you're going to get at it. So the mistake here is looking at the years that you have spent doing those things almost in a, I'm going to use the term volumetric. Like think of it as digging a hole. Or let's talk about stairs. How's that? Let's talk about stairs. That would be a better analogy. So you are thinking that the more you do these things, these escape, avoidance, comforting, soothing, non-productive reactions to anxiety and panic and fear, the more you do them, you're thinking of it as if you are walking downstairs. I'm just walking deeper and deeper into the guts of this building, basement level after basement level, sub-level after sub-level. I'm just going down more and more flights of stairs every time, every month, every year that I've done this, I've gone further and further into the basement, all those flights of stairs that I've walked down. And then you turn around and you look up and you say, oh my goodness, now I have 20 years worth of stairs to climb back up. So your gut will tell you that somehow or other you have dug a 20, like you have been digging a hole for 20 years and you're standing at the bottom of it. That's not true. You have not been digging a hole for 20 years. You dug a hole. That is true. But once you have dug the hole as deep as it needs to be to accomplish the task of escaping from your anxiety, the hole doesn't get any deeper. You can't make it any deeper. You cannot get any better at running home or calling your husband or calling your mom or popping uh, whatever herb you think is helping you, or snapping rubber bands, or chanting, or coloring, whatever it is you do, you can't get any better at those things. You are not liter- you're not removing any more dirt from the hole. You've done it. It gets you underground. It gets you away from the storm that's raging over your head. Good to go. So all you keep doing is repeating jumping in the hole. So it's the same three flights of stairs. You just run up to the ground floor. You look around. You hate it. You run back down to three flights. It's still the same three flights. You didn't run down 30 flights. You didn't run down 100 flights. You ran down the same three flights of stairs, and you've just been running down the same three flights of stairs for the past 15 years. You already dug your hole. The hole is as deep as it's ever going to be, and you just dug that hole over the course of, you know, two months or three months, 15 years ago. And now all you're doing is getting out of the hole, not liking what you see, and jumping right back in it. But the hole is never deeper. It's the same hole. So whether you want to think of it as digging a hole and then it gets so deep that you'll never get out of it, Or, you know, walking deeper and deeper and deeper downstairs and, oh, my God, look at all the stairs I have to walk up. You're wrong on both cases. So if you want to think about stairs, give yourself three flights of stairs. When this problem first came up, you'd walk down two stairs. And that's not enough. Better walk down 10 stairs, one whole flight. Uh, That's not enough. Let me try 12. Let me try 15. Now you're down two flights. Then uh, let me try 15. You know, let me try 20 steps. Now you're down two flights. Let me try 30 steps. Now you're down three flights. I'm like, okay, this is all right. Because what you find is there are no more stairs you can go down. You can't escape any more than you already are. There's, there's a limit to escape, right? So whether it's digging a hole or walking down flights of stairs to get away from the ground floor where all the shit's going down, there's only so deep you can go. There are only so many stairs. You cannot find any more levels of avoidance and escape. So you can't go any more stair. You can't go down any more stairs, and you can't dig any more dirt out of that hole. All you're doing is just repeating the mechanism of going down those same stairs and jumping back in that same exact hole. So do you understand why the time that you've been doing that doesn't matter? The hole is no deeper. 
you're no further down in the basement than you think you are. You're really not. You've been in the same level, basement level three, for 15 years. It's okay. You can climb up 30 stairs. You don't have to climb up 30,000 stairs. It's not the way this is working. So these are the reasons why it is a mistake to think that the, the longer you have suffered, the harder it is to recover. These are mistakes in perception. These are mistakes in logic. But more than anything else, this is the part that I do want to acknowledge because this does matter. These are mistakes in belief. These are mistakes in, in confidence, in self-image, in your feeling of, of uh, ability to handle things, to do hard things, to make changes, to be competent. You do not view yourself as confident or competent or able to do these things. And the, 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 the logical fallacy that says either this is like a disease that gets worse over time, wrong, past, perform, past events, like, or, or, you know, if I do this so many times in the past, it means I must do it in the future, wrong. Or I've been doing this so long, I've dug such a deep hole or gone down so many flights of stairs, wrong. See, but all three of those, those, you know, those perceptual and logical fallacies then contribute to that lack of belief that you have the lack of belief, you're not confident, you don't think you can do it. Maybe you've always had a problem with self-doubt, not believing yourself, not believing yourself to be competent, not thinking that you can actually control the outcome of things. But I'm going to say that while the length of time that you have dealt with this may be contributing to that, that is likely something that you brought to the table many years ago. That's probably not a new thing. So it is true that you will have to learn a new way to see yourself and believe in yourself. That is true. But that is true, my friend, for everybody that goes through this recovery process. It doesn't matter how long they have suffered, whether it's six weeks, six years, or 30 years. Everybody is suffering with confidence, competence, and belief crises that are part and parcel of these disorders and being stuck in them. So that lack of belief that you have, and if I could give you anything in the world, I would give you belief in yourself that you can do this. But that lack of belief is not tied or nor is it proportional to the length of time that you have suffered with an anxiety disorder. It is not. It probably feels that way. But just because it feels that way doesn't mean that it is true. So those emotional things that we are wrapping around this, this recovery thing we talk about, our emotions, our beliefs, our self-image, our view of ourselves, and those like gut things that humans do, like, I don't know, he missed the last five free throws, so he's going to miss this one. And we all know that's not true, but we think it anyway. These are all the things that contribute to the mistaken belief that the longer you suffer, the harder it is to recover. Now, I think the longer you suffer, maybe recovery looks a little different because habits are habits. Uh, and I think the longer you engage in a habit, to a certain extent, the more it feels weird. You have to really put your brain around the idea, like, oh, I got to do this different today. But that's not really an obstacle. That's just a different approach. That's, I, I'm not, you can't call that an obstacle. Well, just because I had this thought, you know, 600 days in a row, doesn't mean that I can't have a new one tomorrow. You know, that's just, again, that feeling that, like, oh, it's just too hard to change once you've done it for so long. It's not true. People stop smoking after smoking for 25 years, and that's a crazy, addictive, powerful habit. But every single day in the world, people stop smoking. 
People stop abusing alcohol or drugs every single day. I bet you know somebody right now in your life, maybe they've never told you that, who is a recovering alcoholic, a recovering addict, an ex-smoker, an ex-gambler. Like, people can change, and so can you. It does not matter how long you have been ill or suffering or had anxiety, however way you put it, it doesn't matter. So I don't know what else I can say about this. 25 minutes, not too shabby, right? But those are the reasons why it is incorrect to assert that the longer you suffer, the harder it is to recover. And I will wrap up with this. When I say start today, start your recovery today, there is no reason to not start today. I don't care how small that start is. I do not care how tiny the changes that you make today. I just care that you make it today. But when you hear me say that, and when you hear other people cheering for you and saying that, especially if you're part of like my Facebook community, you'll hear that every day. When we say that to you, it's not because we're trying to prevent you getting sicker. We are just trying to encourage you to get the life you want today. That's all that is. So some people misinterpret that as like, oh, I know. If I don't act today, then I, I'm making it worse. Not true. If you don't act today, all you're really doing is shortchanging yourself. So that's why, you know, act today. Start today. You can't come up with a reason to not start today that I would buy. But do not take that as some sort of indicator that, like, we're trying to keep you from getting sicker. If you wait too long, you won't be able to recover. That's not how this works, guys. It is not how it works. I promise it is not how it works, all right? So that is what I have to say about this particular topic. Hopefully it has been helpful to you. Questions, comments, always, you know, appreciated. I'm going to play you out with Ben Drake doing Afterglow like I always do. You can find Ben at uh, facebook.com slash Music. Great guy, great musician, and a great song. I know you guys, a lot of people ask about it. And, of course, I have to ask if you're listening to the podcast anywhere that you can leave a rating or review, please do that. Four or five stars. Five stars. Do five stars. And leave a review if you could. Take 10 minutes and write a review. If you're enjoying the podcast and it's helping you, reviews help other people find it. And the more people we can help, the better we're doing. So I appreciate that. Thanks for coming, guy. Bye, guys. I will uh, see you in the next one. Move forward today. Start today. Start today. Yeah, you're on your way. It's in the afterglow. It's in the lyrics of the songs we know. It's in these feelings that you never show Yeah, you're doing fine It's all around